$15 billion, CBC's estimate of the three-year revenue shortfall for New York City government in a recession. That's actually the low end. Based on the actual experience of the last three recessions, the shortfall would range between $15 and $20 billion over three years, on a budget of about $90 billion annually. The severity of this decline is one reason the CBC has advocated for greater savings in the city budget and the creation of a rainy day fund, which New Yorkers endorsed by voting yes on ballot question four last week. These are two issues we discussed with New York City First Deputy Mayor Dean Foulihan last week. Welcome to What's the Data Point? I'm Maria Dulles from the CBC. This week, our episode features an interview of First Deputy Mayor Dean Foulihan by CBC President Andrew Ryan. In addition to the city budget and managing for efficiency, the conversation covers developments on closing Rikers and moving to a borough-based jail system, a potential New York City finance pipeline for hydropower, and how the deputy mayor views New York City's competitiveness. Here's the conversation, which includes some sharp Q&A from our audience members on the federal government, health and hospitals, and taxes. So thank you very much. Thank you for the introduction. Uh, it's, uh, it actually is always great to be at CBC. Uh, it, is, it is a partnership, uh, both at the state level that I had and, and, and a dramatic increase at the city level doesn't mean we always agree. There will be times when there are slight disagreements, maybe sometimes when there are even strong disagreements. <clears throat> but we, we recognize how important this role is. And, and it, it's unfortunate, actually, there aren't even more that are able to do this kind of commitment. But what the, you have done, what Carol did before, what the board's done, really congratulations. And we look forward, certainly over the next two years to continue that partnership and that exchange. Uh, and congratulations on the, uh, on the Rainy Day Fund. Well, thank you for that. We'll, we'll get to that in a I, second. I had a feeling you we know. may talk about that. Um, there are so many topics we'd love to hear, hear you on. But why don't we start with budget? It's our middle name. And, and you've been a budget guy for, for a pretty long time now. Um, and in that, you have a, a, an acute view of understanding how you've enjoyed a great economy. It's great to be budget director. It's great to be in administration when the economy is good um, in, in many ways. Um, but you've enjoyed significant revenues, as the mayor has, has been eloquent in talking about, allowing you to make significant investments. Of course, there's the other side that CBC highlights, which is you know, spending growth and headcount growth and what, what does that mean over the long term. But let's just start in the big picture on how you approach the budget and what you think this economy has allowed you to do. Look, yes, it's, it's very positive. We've had an amazing run of economic activity. New York City in particular, uh, we have changed the dynamic. We were shorter, shorter part period of the recession. We were out sooner, stronger growth in the national economy. All that is incredibly positive. But the city also confronts numerous challenges. And at the beginning of this administration, uh, we said that we had to deal with those. And, and, and while I'm quite sure we'll get into spending priorities, there are investments in this city that had to be made and that were part of the mayor's agenda in both elections, and we're committed to making those. That doesn't mean that we don't do it in a fiscally responsible way, but it does mean that we do believe that government can contribute, has to make serious investments, and that's how we approach it. Look, when we started, uh, we're far from that now, there were no labor contracts, there had been uh, there had been a period of, of, of really animosity and, and unresolved. Uh, the pattern bargaining, long history uh, in New York City had disappeared. We restored that. Um, we had many conversations uh, with CBC, both in these meetings and with the, with the board, uh, to figure out was that the responsible thing to do. I think we said it was responsible. We, we challenged uh, the Municipal Labor uh, Committee that part of that had to include, for the first time, uh, serious changes to the way, uh, the way we pay for health care and at the same time deliver, deliver, a very, uh, deliver the best uh, health care we could to our employees. That was one of the first things that we put on the table in the very first year. So 
we continue to face these challenges. We continue to deal with them. But there's investments after investments that we need to make. And we can go over that list, whether it's education, whether it's mental health, whether it's public safety. So, and you know, every administration has priorities. And, and I think CBC has always been supportive of that. The challenge with investments might be twofold and love to hear your thoughts. One is how do you know when you're getting a return on investment? People make investments and you expect by just that very nature of the, of the phrase, a return. And how do you make that decision and how do you measure and manage, manage it? And if I could be a little bit pointed, Thrive, a very important initiative uh, for the administration, um, did not come out of the gate from the public's view with a management strategy and a measurement strategy to make sure that those investments were working. And there was a little catch up and discussion and, and both substantive and political discussion about how to um, refocus that program right based on those data. Should you have been doing that earlier? How do you measure the return on investment? So look, no one had taken on the challenge of mental health, and it's really taken on at the municipal level in the country. Uh, it goes back to state disinvestment uh, from, uh, from mental health institutions and the transformation that occurred there. With that, there was supposed to be serious community investment that was supposed to happen to offset that. that. Some of that happened, but clearly not to the level that I think anyone expected or what we'd like to see. Uh, the city had very limited uh, experience and history of doing this. Uh, with the mayor, with the first lady, there was an attempt, and I think a successful attempt, to say that there needs to be awareness, one, of the problem, we need to make sure that we're getting people help at every stage of this, whether it's at the crisis point or it's at, uh, it's at an earlier stage, that there's ways to do this. We started with many programs. We are evaluating those programs. We have actually cut programs. We have, we have eliminated uh, programs. We have dramatically changed. We took 15 million out of the program. Um, we're evaluating. We have published metrics for every single one of the programs in Thrive that we'll be accountable for. We have gone to numerous council hearings. We've yes. answered the city controllers numerous questions, I think, to, to their satisfaction. Um, we need to better communicate exactly how we're doing that. What are our main goals? What are we out to achieve? But we're in that process. Um, but to have not done that would have been a mistake. To have not learned as we go along is an, an appropriate piece. Is this a right and an appropriate function for government? Yes. And does it need to be done at every single point of the mental health spectrum? No question. We just came out with crisis intervention, which was and with, at, for, with both NYPD and DOHMH and Thrive working together to say, how do we deal with joint teams to handle crisis situations, and we're going to keep working on that. I, I, it's appropriate to even, the, we will get to this, but we have a new police commissioner. One of the things he talked about was obviously the suicides in the, in the police department. Another major initiative where we're trying to address that concern. So, and as I said, you know, there are different priorities and you're right to evaluate, and as you said, you're readjusting Thrive, and, and some would say, you know, maybe later than you could have if, if you'd started out, out of the gate. But that brings up the issue of kind of an additive, um, an additive approach. As I said to my wife, she went to public health school, I went to public policy school. Public policy was about a trade-off of a relatively fixed pot of goods. Public health was more is better. Now as executive deputy commissioner of the health department, I know a lot, I had 7,000 people telling me more is better every day, um, as, you, as you probably have had as budget director. You've approached savings and moving from a PEG history program to eliminate the gap to a voluntary citywide savings program that CBC has argued has not focused on improving productivity, more about spending re-estimates, debt service. What do you think is the right amount of productivity you can increase in the workforce to offset the savings, uh, offset your new initiative costs with savings in other programs? Because it seems to have been additive, in fact, you know, $19 billion more as the budget has grown since you've been in office. Okay, so we should put, we should benchmark everything appropriately. Um, most of those comparisons are from the prior administration coming out of the recession and a, uh, 
a, a where they had to do a retrenchment that they wouldn't have wanted to do. Uh, CBC a few years ago, I believe like three years ago, compared the de Blasio administration up to that point to the Bloomberg administration during a period of expansion, not a period of recession. And it turned out that actually there was more growth during the Bloomberg administration and period of growth. So we need to benchmark what we're talking about. We're also a much bigger city, uh, significant population expansion, and we also confront new and, and different problems. The city's always had a history confronting serious problems, but we have new ones now and that I'm quite sure will be part of this conversation, whether it's climate, resiliency, all those things that we have to do that were not part of the agenda before. So I think, one, we have to benchmark what, what that growth is in and how we do it. Look, we're always looking for productivity. Again, we were the first administration in decades to say to, to the unions and negotiations, we need health care savings. Never happened. There was not even data or policy analysis occurring at anywhere in city government on healthcare until this administration. We established on an annual basis $1.3 billion in savings in healthcare. We now in the, in the most current round of bargaining have raised that to 1.9 billion continuing savings. That's an important aspect and we are looking, working with them on a monthly basis to say how can we expand that well beyond what we achieved. How do we expand that now and for the next administration? And, and to be continued, I think that's a very important initiative, um, and hopefully that continues. But, but the PEG, oh, I'm sorry. I mean, we did. I, so, uh, yes, there were many years where CBC had pushed us to do um, a plan to eliminate the, the gap. We did, and you've had uh, our very capable budget director here talk about this, but we did do a, um, a PEG. In the, in the last budget, and we achieved significant savings for the two fiscal years. It's over 2.8 billion, and the PEG produced over 700 million of savings. So we did recognize that it was time to do more dramatic action, and the mayor always said, look, depending on the situation, and depending on the needs, and depending on the fiscal concerns that we have, we will make adjustments, and we're more than happy to do that. So we'll get to the rainy day fund in a second. It's a nice transition. Are you thinking of doing a peg for the preliminary or exact budget at this point, given the mayor's been very articulate on, you know, knowing that there's going to be a recession at some point in the future. Of course, he, he like everyone else, would be a fool to pick a date, but a smart to prepare for one. Look, in November, I, I know we're going to do a savings plan again. And as we move to the preliminary budget, we'll take an assessment. We'll look out there. We'll be working with our agencies and we'll figure out what's the best path forward. And I'm, I'm quite sure that you and others will help us along. We'll do our best, thank you. Um, so rainy day fund. Obviously, now the, the voters overwhelmingly chose to change the city charter, but there's work to do on the, on, the, on the state law, and as well as maybe implementation of details in the city, which would be a good city discussion, I think. Um, have you thought about your strategy on, on this and, and what your approach would be on Albany and making sure they get it right? Look, we're going to have to work together to, to, to. Make, the, make this happen. Uh, the first step occurred yesterday, and now we need to talk about what, are, what does that look like and to make sure that the, the city continues to be and that the city is the determining factor of what this rainy day fund looks like. I think we do have to be careful about that. For, I, I assume everyone in this audience knows, but we are not able to do a rainy day fund by the what was the Emergency Financial Control Board and then the Financial Control Board Act. Um, we, are, however, do have reserves, and we have well over, uh, we have over $6 billion of reserves that we do, uh, whether it's the uh, Retiree Health Benefit Trust Fund, uh, with about 4.6, or the uh, general reserve of 1.15, and the uh, capital reserve of 250 a million. It's a historic level of reserves that the city has not done. Uh, but it is not a rainy day fund. It's not a traditional. It's not a traditional way of doing that. And now we have the opportunity to do that. I, I will. Uh, when I was at OMB, I won't do many anecdotes, but I, I'll do one story. When I was at uh, at OMB, one of the early years, somebody, um, one of the apparently OMB saves everything, and and and, 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 so well, documented, and, and I'm quite sure, and and someone pulled out a letter from uh, then uh, uh, Deputy Budget Director Tony Shores 
to a group of people in Albany, including me, asking for a rainy day fund. So, and that was, that was in the early 80s. Hopefully now we'll be able to achieve it. Well, you know, Maria found testimony. I gave about a rainy day fund 20 years there ago as well. And I, I share you in, in the reminiscing of our youth. Um, <laughs> CBC did an analysis looking at past recessions. Three-year revenue shortfall estimate of 15 to 20 billion dollars. Um, of course, we don't believe we should use the RH, the Re Retiree Health Benefits Trust as res reserves. Understood. The prior administration did it, and, yes. and, and we don't think it was the right thing to do. We think it's in trust of retirees. But putting that aside, that kind of revenue shortfall with six billion dollars or two billion dollars in reserve, what what happens? when you don't have enough money, do you, what kind of cuts do you do then? Is it really enough? Should we be saving well, more? Let, let's, look, we, we, the city budget's a, 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 a remarkable framework, right? I mean, all the reforms that came out of the financial crisis, uh, we remain, as far as I can tell, the only state or local government that seriously budgets under generally accepted accounting principles. Um, that that has a that that spends the time and effort we do on four-year forecasts, that updates its budget much more like a corporation would uh, qu uh, quarterly and does an assessment every quarter. This is really unheard of. It's certainly not what the state does, uh, and I do have a lot of familiarity with that. It's not what anyone I've seen in the country do. So when you talk about the out-year gaps, uh, of course we do, and those are an accurate assessment, and let's remember what those include, those gaps you're talking about. They include uh, reserves. They actually incorporate in them a general reserve of over a billion dollars. Uh, they incorporate labor reserves and risk, which the last administration did not include. So we put everything we can in there to get those gaps, if you look historically those out-year gaps are manageable. They are certainly reasonable as a percentage of city total revenues. And, and that's how we, we, we benchmark ourselves. And we're always doing recession scenarios. What happens in a different place? What happens on the expense budget? What happens on the capital budget? And yes, we do believe, it's a balancing act, we do believe that we have the right amount of reserves at this time, recognizing the concerns we have. We also understand that in a recession, Actions are gonna to have to be taken, and some programs, even ones that we like, we would have to take action on. I could talk to you about budget all day, but I'll, let's move to some other topics that um, are a great um, priority of the administration. Let's talk about the Rikers closing. Sure. This is a major, um, a, a historic change. Criminal justice, but it's also a major undertaking operationally, budgetarily, you know, building or renovating four jails. 8.6 billion in the capital budget, and, and those of us who've been around the block know that those preliminary estimates often are on the low side. Um, some money for criminal justice reform and the negotiation to finish it. Can you tell us a little about why this was necessary and what it'll accomplish? Look, um, <clears throat> the, a, ma a major, no question, a major accomplishment, transformational. Uh, not an area that traditionally other administrations in the city focused on was criminal justice. This administration came in and we focused on public safety and there's all aspects of public safety. We increased uh, the number of officers on patrol, one of the very early actions we did. Uh, we have seen um, with major reforms in criminal justice, we've seen, we are at the lowest level of crime. I mean, the mayor says this every time, you don't need me to hear it, but you've heard it constantly, safest big city in America. Um, the crimes are at historic, uh, the crime rates are at historic lows, and during this administration have gone down. Arrests are significantly down during this administration. Incarcerations are significantly down during this administration. Compared to any other major municipality in the country, we compare incredibly favorably, and we continue to make investments, whether on the police, on the NYPD side, in neighborhood policing, in the technology they need, they need to do it. So it's really, I, you asked about Rikers, but I think it's important to do the whole spectrum and to start with, and to start with the public safety portion and the NYPD. And I can't let it, only uh, two days ago, we did announce um, uh, Jimmy O'Neill uh, is, uh, is leaving us uh, after a very successful three years, before that Bill Bratton. And we now have Dermot Shea as our new police commissioner uh, who talked about 
who talked about continuing this effort, continuing to work with communities, and to continuing to drive down that crime rate so that our officers are doing more and other things and he worries about other types of things and we're gonna keep doing that. And then as that continues to, to incarceration, we also recognized we needed to do major reforms at, the, at our Department of Corrections. And we've, inst we've, we've instituted those. Um, we expanded the workforce there as well. We've done more enhanced training there. We've done much more programming. Um, we have uh, put many more restrictions on punitive segregation. Uh, we have participated in Raise the Age for 16 and 17 year olds, so they're part of the juvenile justice system. And then fundamentally recognizing that decades of uh, really disservice at Rikers Island was not the way to continue this, and the way to do it was to transform it, to put borough-based jails closer to the community, closer to the criminal justice system, which is very important, and make that investment, and you're absolutely right, it's a significant investment, 8.7 billion, and yes, those are preliminary estimates, uh, that it was an important piece for this city to recognize and to move forward on. And we had a lot of partners on this. We had two speakers, the city council, the Jonathan Lippman, uh, the commission that he held, that talked about the ways to transform what we do when someone is in, in the correction system. And one of the ways to do that, and one of the ways to reduce violence for both inmate on inmate and on our officers was to have a modern jail, was to have modern facilities that can properly do both programming and keep the community safe. So we think we have achieved that and we're moving, moving ahead quickly uh, the next steps are uh, the specifics that we've gone through ULERP. We're gonna go through in the design phase. And while we're doing that, we have many other things in criminal justice that, uh, that we should talk about that are important, are gonna be big budget pieces. Um, but we do think this was another one of those investments that have been neglected and should be, and we were willing to undertake. Will it be more expensive to operate four jails rather than one? Um, right now, it's a very inefficient blue, blueprint. I mean, it really is. It's, I, I, you it's, know, we spend 300000 fully loaded per inmate. It's, a, it's an incredibly it's, stunning... It is, it is not... I, when you look at... When, and we did, and the Lippman Commission did, when you look at modern facilities, this is not a modern facility. Uh, we went... Uh, last summer, and this is not just for the inmates, it's our employees. We don't have uh, air conditioning in all the facilities. We don't, it's not the proper conditions, it's not the proper way to say, can we actually help somebody during that period that they're incarcerated? How do we actually achieve that? How do we also protect the safety of our, of, of, of our correction officers? And this is not the blueprint for that. Is it gonna cost more though? Have we left the next so, administration so with that you, you know, there, two things are, uh, several things are happening. Um, I actually don't believe it will. I think it's come down in price. The Lipman Commission assumed 11 to, I believe, about $11 billion in construction costs. What's happening uh, is the, with bail reform, with the major reforms of the, in, in the state legislature in the last session, uh, we're saying the population, we can get the, so when we started, there were over 11,000 people in the, at Rikers, in the correction system. Um, as of today, we're below 7,000. Uh, we are projecting, we are projecting by 2026, 3,300. It's a reasonable projection. Um, so no, I actually think those cost estimates work. And, and look, there will be savings on the correction side. I mean, there's no question. We've said there won't be layoffs, but clearly there'll be a reduction in the workforce and there will be savings. It'd be a much more efficient system. In addition, to maintain, to maintain the safety, since that is the state law now, um, we have started uh, to implement supervised release to make sure that we have programs in place to, so when judges can no longer do bail or where they're required to look at options, that we have programs in place, that we have supervised release in place and alternatives to incarceration that we are making the commitment and we are making the investment 
to make sure that those crime statistics that we talked about stay as low as they are and continue to decline. And obviously, you know, operationally, you're going to need it. You're projecting a census of 3,300, if I understand correctly, building beds for 3,800. That's um, correct. And so it sounds like it, if you don't get there, you've got a real problem, or the next mayor has a real problem if there aren't enough beds. So it's incumbent to make those successful. Absolutely. Yeah. No question. Um, let's turn to environmental um, policy and energy policy. Very important um, for us and our children. Priorities for the state and obviously for the city administration. There are so many aspects we could go into, but let's talk about the city's commitment to run on only renewable resources in five years and to um, build a $3 billion, and I know with partners, so it's not a $3 billion bill, a um, connection between hydropower in Quebec and New York City. Could you tell us a little about that? Look, we're, <coughs> forgive my hoarseness, slightly sick, I apologize. Um, we're confronting the federal government not necessarily partnering or recognizing it. We know we're confronting challenges. We know we have to address the climate challenges, and there are many ways, and it's going to involve uh, sacrifice and efforts on all of us, and we need to work together and partner together to do that. Um, we know that we need to be less reliant on, on more natural gas and, and more fossil fuels. We need to make significant investments and significant changes in what we do. It's both on the supply side and on the demand side. On the supply side, the mayor has said hydropower is readily available, doesn't preclude. We know there are going to be commitments in solar and wind energy, and we're going to be part of that with the state, and we're clearly going to have to work on that effort. But we can make a significant investment in hydropower, which will help the city tremendously. And we're in negotiations on that. So I'm not prepared to say $3 billion yeah, or what that uh, number that is at this point. That was the mayor's number with partners, and I understood. I, I, we, we have a lot of negotiations yeah. left to do, but that is a, a major vehicle, and we're having serious conversations right now to see how fast we can do that. Changing the supply, we recognize we have supply needs. We're a growing economy. We have to address that. And, and that's part of it. And that's a readily available supply for us to work with our partners in the state, with Hydro-Quebec, to see how we can achieve that. And to my understanding, it would be unprecedented for a municipality. I think we have 11,000 miles of transmission in the state, and none of them are municipal or that's municipal correct. partners. But so this would be a very different way to, do, to approach this. Look, the city uh, historically uh, recognized the analogy would be what happened with water, and the city made a huge investment that we are all the beneficiaries of. So the question is, uh, we need to make the same kind of investments going forward, and this is a place to do it. And another aspect is the Climate Mobilization Act with building em emissions, um, reducing, um, requiring a 40% greenhouse gas emission reduction for buildings by 2030 from 25 levels. I, I, I've heard a lot of people committed to these goals, but concerned both on the investment costs and what it'll affect on rents. And when the penalties start happening, will there be enough renewables to purchase? And the credit system in the city is not actually harmonized with the state. So there are a lot of concerns about implementing and how we get there. What are your thoughts on so, that? So great argument for Hydro-Quebec, thank you. <clears throat> because one of, the, one of the things that those very same building mm -hmm. owners can do is use that hydropower. It's another place for, for where we can share and potentially partner, and it's a good place to do it. Look, it, again, I, there's only two places to go here. It's on the supply side and providing the supply we need, and it's reducing demand. And 70% of our, of, our, uh, of our usage comes from our buildings. So there's no way that we're going to achieve this and actually have this kind of focus without putting requirements on, on buildings going forward. And, and look, it's a, it's a, it, it was a thoughtful approach that talks about uh, what happens in, in 2025 and in 2030 to get a 40% reduction uh, in emissions by 2030. And it has many of the things. I mean, there was a partnership that was working uh, business and labor and many of the initiatives that came out of that ended up in that bill. 
there will be an attempt to look at individual cases. There's an advisory group which will include experts from, from, uh, from around our community, the business community, to help us. And there will also be a recognition that there will have to be waivers, and, and we will take those into account. But it certainly establishes the city has to have goals and that we have to work on those going forward. And it's going to be in all these areas we're going to have to make these kind of strides. City and state relations, um, you know, historically Excellent. have challenges. Excellent. Now, I was even before this administration, there's, there's been some challenges. You've, you've understood this better than I in history. Are you working to harmonize the city and the state initiatives, two bold initiatives that sometimes are not necessarily harmonized? Are you having good oh, discussions? I, I, on this topic, I do think, uh, yes. Uh, we're constantly talking New York Power Authority. They have to be a partner in this. Um, no question. The goals are basically very similar. They complement each other. They're right. not conflicting. Uh, we need to do the same kind of city. The city itself is a major user. The MTA is a major user. Uh, the Port Authority are major users. We need to talk to all of our partners about how we're going to move forward. So I was a little lazy this morning, but I, you have around 780 days left. I don't know, give or take a little. I don't know if you, you keep, keep account, um, if those kind of things help you wake up in the morning and feel invigorated. But um, I want to talk a little about, if you could, um, your priorities for the rest of the term and with a focus on New York's competitiveness. I think there are concerns, um, and we can go into specific cases, but concerns uh, among people in New York that we might be losing our competitive edge for business formation, growth, um, attractiveness to new residents. Dynamism has been what's driven the city for hundreds of years and, and what's happening. And it feels like things are being stopped. NYCHA 2.0. We're working together because we agree with that plan, but it's being stopped um, some of the progress and we're involved in some of that work. Rezoning with Industry City, there's a lot of things that feel like it's holding us back. What are the priorities in terms of keeping New York competitive? So, um, do wake up every day thinking about uh, with the exciting and wonderful challenges ahead. You're absolutely right. We do, we do recognize the amount of time we have. And look, we're going to build on what we believe has been a very successful uh, first term and the, basically the two years of the second term. Uh, and we recognize those challenges and we're going to figure out how we can leave the city uh, much better off. And we think we're on that path. And whatever, the, whatever, whatever that goal is, uh, whether it's in, again, public safety or continuing criminal justice reform or making sure that we actually drive neighborhood policing further, that we address the mental health issues. And even when we experience challenges, that we take modifications and move forward with them. Uh, that on education, nothing, nothing more important for the administration than our investments in education. Uh, we've established, and no one told us we could, a, a whole new class on UPK. Uh, we're 68,000 uh, four-year-olds. We're now at 20,000 three-year-olds in this year. It's really an amazing achievement, but we're also recognizing that we have other challenges through K through 12, and we're addressing those things. You asked, you asked about uh, uh, transformation and, and productivity. We're the first administration that is actually in the agreement with the UFT has differential pay for, for, in, for select schools where we were having problems recruiting in sciences and mathematics and in bilingual, and we're moving in those directions. So we do consider that when we talk about labor contracts. Those are the kinds of things that we're going to be doing and continuing to doing and set the path for the future of the city. So, so we recognize that challenge, uh, we, and we are aggressive about how we are going to be approaching that. Um, to your more specific, uh, the 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 day-to-day -day piece of this, I, you know, we we um, we grab a hold of it and we'll just we'll continue to move on that. And before I open it up, just a sense of where the business community oh, I fits in. You, to, you, did, I, you can tell I'm a little sick, and I did uh, the second part oh, of the Oh, no, equation. I've asked you like four questions every time I ask one. So, so, so I apologize. I'm competitive in this. Look, I, you, know, you probably know how I'm going to answer this, right? We think we are making investments that keep New York competitive. 
Uh, we think we are doing that in education. We think we are doing that when, in our portion of how we invest in community colleges. Uh, we think we do that in job training. We think we do that in, in changing and improving our graduation rates, improving our test scores uh, at historic high levels, but saying that's not enough and we have to go even further. So we, can, we, we would say, right, that the investments we are making are doing that, but we are also partnering and recognizing that economic growth is, is, is fundamental and needs to continue. Everything tells us that New York is competitive, continues to be competitive, that New York has talent uh, and an incredible workforce, and that that is generating, generating expansion in, in the city, and we're going to continue to foster that. Um, we are not an administration that has discouraged developments. You've mentioned NYCHA, you've mentioned zoning. I mean, we are, we are actively pursuing those. We'll continue to pursue it. Doesn't mean that there won't be community opposition and we need to take in that community concerns and address them and come back with the right plan. Sounds good. I could talk to you all day about these things, transportation, education, more, but why don't I see if any of our trustees um, have some questions for you, if that's okay. Terrific, thank you. And you can have a sip of water you. during the thing. Please. Uh, Sean will come over. Thank you, Sean. And I'm going to take a cough drop. It would be nice <laughs> if, uh, if you could be our next mayor. That was uh, very uh, uh, impressive. Um, my question is, while you're killing yourself to bad, uh, balance the New York City budget, the federal deficit is almost a, a trillion dollars. How is that impacting the city, or is it not impacting? Okay, the city? so two parts. We have an exceptional mayor, uh, <laughs> and and and, and uh, absolutely that's correct. But absolutely delighted that the opportunity that he gave me, and the team he has put together, and his day-to-day -day management of this city, I think is is nothing but exceptional. And I'm proud to be part of this administration and proud to be working for him on this. So that's the first part of the question that you didn't ask. The, the, the national, look, we, we, are, we just had a conversation about climate, public safety, education, and we don't have a partnership at the federal level. I think all of us had hoped that one of the things that may happen was an infrastructure bill, never happened. We're constantly talking about the needs of infrastructure and we're doing this on our own. No one's asked about the MTA yet, but it would be nice to have some assistance and some help uh, from, from a federal partnership that doesn't exist right now. The innovation is clearly occurring at the local level. And until that changes, that's, it needs to stay at the local level, but we do, need a, we do need a federal partnership. They are dramatically, if we go back from the fiscal crisis to today, the percentage of federal participation in the city budgets dramatically declined. And, and that's, that's unfortunate. And, and we all know, I mean, Senator Schumer does this all the time, we all know we contribute much more than we get back, but it would at least be good, nice to have a partnership that was, helping, that was helping us move forward. So yes, are we concerned? We're very concerned, but we try to deal with the best we can. And that means that we have to be innovative on things. That means we have to address climate and we have to set the path, the passage forward. Questions? Let me uh, ask about the Mayor's Renewal Schools program. And it, against the backdrop of my being responsible for authorizing all of SUNY's uh, charter schools. And in that process, we shut down almost 50% of the charter schools in the end because they didn't work. The mayor took another approach, and that is to keep them all going, don't close them down. and and spend a lot of funds with respect to consultants and others. What has the result of that approach been as opposed to the approach that we took with respect to charter schools? So I think it's been more successful. So thank you for the question. Uh, simply closing, reformulating, reopening, creating smaller schools was not, was not the path forward that we chose. Uh, it's another program. We did, we did come out with the renewal program. We did say we'd focus on the lowest performing schools. There was success in that program. Uh, there was success in community schools. So we did have success, but we also said, okay, 
we're going to move forward. We're going to change that program. We're going to stop. We're going to stop the renewal program. We're going to move to a more comprehensive program. We are measuring success in every single school. We are looking statistics on every single school. How can we help that school change? from the lowest performing school to every other school, because that's the way we're going to continue to increase. So look, we have built on what on the, the success of the prior administration, mural control. And by the way, thank you everybody in the room. Uh, it seems forgotten because it was done last April, but, uh, but the continuation of mural control for this administration uh, that built on the success of the Bloomberg administration in 2001, 2002 is a transformation for this city. And, and we need to continue that well into the future. And so mural control has changed who's accountable, and we've recognized that accountability. And with that, what have we been able to do? We've been able to increase graduation rates, college readiness increasing. Uh, we make sure that, that there's college preparedness. We are making AP courses, computers, you're shaking your head, but it's all true, a whole <laughs> new grade for fourth graders. The, the state, the, the Nate tests across the country, across the country, and, and there's no school district that's, that would say differently, have been declining. The state tests would say the opposite. We are doing better and better, as we did through the Bloomberg administration and ours. And, and, and ours. You know what? They're, they're, I, I, the criticism on the Nate test is they are not keeping consistent with the Common Core curriculum. And that is a fair criticism, and it's one that I think they will be addressing. And uh, we can continue this conversation another time. Thank you. Go ahead. Hi. Uh, I have enormous uh, respect for Dr. Katz. Could you speak a little bit? I think his vision for health and hospitals is really the right vision. Uh, what kind of progress is being made there? So, you know, it's, it's, an, so it's another area that I would argue, and I think the administration would argue, health and corrections, health and hospitals, NYCHA, where we have said these were neglected by, by, the, by prior administrations, and these are comp important components for how the city succeeds. We have the biggest uh, public health system in, in the country. It had been neglected. It got a huge infusion of money during the recession, and it wasn't used to do anything transformational. So I think um, both under, um, under Stan Brezhnev's uh, leadership, where we uh, had significant savings that were put in place and the beginning of a transformation of health and hospitals was begun to understand. And now under Mitch, uh, Mitch Katz, who's doing an exceptional job. Um, when I used to talk to credit rating agencies in the, in the very beginning of this administration, one of the constant concerns was health and hospitals, the deficit in health and hospitals. It's no longer a concern. There's a recognition that it has been turned around and that we are moving with the rest of the hospital sector into a much more modern era. We are changing the entire IT system so we have modern accounts. We are getting productivity. We are getting people to pay. We are actually collecting the money that's owed to us. Not a minor thing, but was not happening. So we are doing that. We are moving into the community as other hospitals are, and we're going to do that. But that is the hospital system that provides for the poor of New York, that provides for, for a sector of that population that we want to provide care for. We're going to continue to. It's part of New York Cares, making sure that everyone in New York has a physician and has health care. And Mitch Katz is doing an amazing job at that. So thank you. Well, I look for other questions. I just want to ask you quickly. I see three former budget directors in the room. Is yes. that a surplus? No. <laughs> no. No, there are never too many budget directors. Uh, OK. And I, I'm looking back, and Betsy's pointing because I can't see that far. I need glasses. So please, Elaine. Right, uh, uh, from the, on the state level, we've seen legislation in a recent legislation passed on rent, rent, rent regulation and on the transfer tax. Uh, what are your expectations of what we may see in the near future on the state level and also what's next for New York City legislatively? So, um, the, uh, so look, we, we want, um, we continually don't want to be harmed by what happens in Albany, and we continue 
to look on them for not just mandates, but to provide the resources that come with the mandates. All the programs we talked about in criminal justice earlier, the supervised release, is all coming from New York City taxpayers. And, we, and, and it would have been nice to have had a, a state component of that, but we'll do, we'll do our part. Uh, one of the things that the mayor has committed to uh, and that we're, we have a commission on is the real property tax. Um, since the last reform of the early 80s, there have been many uh, concerns that have been raised that have built up over those years. We will have a commission report out this year and we're gonna advocate for, uh, for reforms of the property tax. So we're gonna to continue to push for, for reforms. We're gonna to continue to push for whatever assistance we can get out of, out of the state. Look, one of the, and one of the core issues, not necessarily a, a, a maybe part of the state budget, but we do have the MTA capital plan. And so we have the biggest MTA capital plan that the city has seen. Uh, we don't have detail that we would normally have in an MTA capital plan. We're still waiting for that. Uh, there was supposed to be a very, and it came out of the state budget process, and it came out of a joint announcement by the governor and the mayor, uh, a 10-point announcement on the future of the MTA, and there was supposed to be, and, and it's being undertaken, but before the capital plan is adopted, there, we should see the audit and know, can they achieve, can they achieve a $50 billion uh, capital plan? Can, is it realistic? What's the timeline of projects? Have we prioritized properly? We need that audit as part of the decision-making process. So while it's not directly part of the state legislature, it's certainly a key component of what the state is doing. And I just want to remind everyone, it's not just a $54 billion plan. There's 15 Thank billion you. of old projects. So it's kind of a 69, 70 well, billion no, dollar. It's no kind of question. Amazing. We're two capital plans old um, with projects. But you know, th that all needs to come out mm. and saying, OK, how do we move forward? We, look, we've done congestion pricing, uh, which, uh, which was an, 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 a major accomplishment, gives another major revenue source to the MTA. We need to make sure that happens. We need to make sure it happens effectively and, and that the proper resources and the capital plan is funded in the proper way. So there are many questions that need to be addressed on this. Any other? Ken, please. Um, more importantly, thanks for being in City Hall. Thank you. Um, I, I think it's fair to say that uh, a narrative has taken hold in some quarters of the city that's very anti-development and anti-growth. Um, you know, Amazon being the obvious example, but it's much broader than that, and it certainly exists in the City Council and uh, in many media quarters. Um, what do you agree with that, and uh, what is the mayor doing uh, to push back on that and to create uh, a more positive narrative around those so issues? So I, I don't believe we're anti-growth. I think that's pretty clear. I didn't say clear. your administration. Correct. But in, within the city. Well, I, I think we need to, look, let's, let's go down the list, right? The, the, it clearly, thank you, the administration's not anti-growth. We, we pursue growth. We need, we recognize what drives the economy of the city. We want well-paying jobs for, uh, for the residents of New York City. Um, we have many obligations to meet and, and we need to continue that economic growth. Once again, we believe, I, I do have to go back to it, we believe the investments we make uh, in education, in public safety, I mean, if, if public safety was going a different way and we were having a different conversation about those statistics, you would tell me that's, that's a, that's a clear deterrent to economic growth and how we move forward. If we weren't making and building on the successes of the past on education, you would say the same thing. So we need to keep doing that, and those investments will keep doing it. The recognizing that communities feel they face challenges, we need to address those. On Amazon, the governor and the mayor were supportive. I'll just say, I, you know, it's a, it's a difficult city. Uh, you're always challenged here. That's a good part of the city. It's one of the, it's one of the, it's one of the benefits of actually working in the city, that you're constantly challenged. Uh, there was no reason for Amazon's decision. Should not have happened. The, the, and, and we will continue to pursue growth in, in New York. 
that, that is not changing. So I, I don't actually agree with the narrative. And I think it's incumbent on all of us to say the narrative's not accurate. And if a community is objecting to something, we should be able to work with that community. And we've shown we can work with that community. We've shown we can make ch changes at NYCHA. Doesn't mean that we don't have to address the concerns of the residents of NYCHA. And one last question, if we had, I thought I saw another hand. Alaire, speaking of former budget director. Don't blame me. Um, <laughs> we, we have had an unprecedented uh, bonanza in terms of tax revenues for a number of years now. And I am, I'm hearing the litany of uh, spending needs and spending plans. But I wonder, are there any circumstances under which this administration would consider plowing some of those tax revenues into tax cuts? So look, we, we have not raised the property tax. Um, we have, that, I, I know, I know. But I get to answer. <laughs> so we have, we came in a situation and I just think it's fair. We came in a situation after the Great Recession and disinvestment where there had to be a significant commitment to investments in the future of the city. And that was our priorities. And we didn't hide that from anyone. It was very clear that those were our priorities. And those are the things that we've been doing. And we still believe that those are the major things that we need to move forward with and that are going to be the success of this city. So, so it, it, it's not that I'm not hearing you. It's not that I'm not understanding. It's that we are, we are, we recognize fiscal responsibility. We believe we've done that. We believe that building the reserves to historic level is part of how we accomplish that, and making those smart investments, and always looking for additional savings, and recognizing where programs not working or challenging our labor partners to do something that's been different and hasn't been done before, which we did both with the UFT and at NYCHA where significant work rule changes occurred. We need to do those things. We're committed to doing those things. Well, Dean, thank you very much for uh, staying so long and answering the questions. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks for listening. Ben Max will be back for our next episode. In the meantime, catch up on prior episodes and reach out to us with your feedback and suggestions for new topics and guests. Ben is at TweetBenMax, and I'm at Maria Doulis. Happy listening.